0: handouts there's some in the foyer there's some down here I've passed them out a dozen times but the theme is and it's at the top of your inside your bulletin the right hand side at the top living in the light of eternity and so what we've been talking about is a difference between walking in the light of Jesus Christ which those of us that are saved we walk in the light of Christ or those that are not saved living, living in darkness Darkness is just one of the metaphors the Bible uses to describe people that are unsaved. It talks about being depraved. It talks about being dead in sin. But on many, many occasions, the Bible does compare the two. Those of us that know Christ are living in the light of Jesus Christ. Those that are unsaved are living in darkness. And it happens to be that Paul brings that up in just about every one of his epistles. And he brings it up in the book of Ephesians. Now, last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, I used this as an illustration. And and when I talk about living in the light of Christ or living in the light of eternity, all of us are eternal beings. Don't forget that. Ecclesiastes 3.11. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're still eternal. But your eternal destiny is not with Christ. Okay, He came to save sinners. If you're not saved, then you're not living with Him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in every human heart. So every baby that's been conceived but yet aborted, that's eternal. Every mark of life is God's life and it's eternal. And and what we're arguing and what the Bible says is either there's two destinies. One is in Christ and we're using the word light. We live in the light of Christ. Or without Christ, you walk in a world of desperation in a world of darkness. If you remember last Sunday, I I used the illustration of the Apostle Paul when he was converted. In the book of Acts, interesting enough, Luke records three times Paul sharing his testimony. Sharing your testimony is good. It's, It's a biblical thing. Well, Paul shared, and especially with Agrippa, this is at the end like in Acts 26, Paul's sharing his testimony and he talks about meeting Jesus. And you know the story. I mean, on the road to Damascus, he's going there to persecute Christians. He just got through having Stephen stoned and now he's got authoritative papers to go to Damascus to persecute some more Christians. But his his uh, trip was, was interrupted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ appeared to him. And... And what's interesting about that is it says that he says when he's describing to Agrippa getting saved, now, you know, born again, whatever term you want to use. When, when Paul met Jesus, this is how he describes the encounter. He said, I saw a light greater than the noonday sun. So it was about noontime and obviously in the Middle East the sun's high and it's hot. And it's bright, but when Paul encountered Christ, it was a light, he says, greater than the noonday sun. And what I want to ask you, and I asked you this last week, what is, the, is not the brightest moment of your life, now think, is the brightest moment of your life, bar none, the day you got saved? Amen? Folks, if, if you can't say that, then there is a high likelihood you've never been born again. Because to meet the the eternal Son... He wasn't Jesus Christ in eternity past. He was the eternal Son. God gave Him the two names. Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Anointed One when He came into the world. But He's the eternal Son. When When the eternal Son of God meets you, your life will be changed. And He says you will pass from darkness until, into light. That's what he talks about. So he gives us this metaphor that when we meet Him, when we meet Christ, it's like we go from being in darkness to, to being in the light. Other metaphors, life to death. And so, so there's a massive change in believers when we meet Christ. And so I have to ask you, is the brightest moment in your life the day you met Christ and He saved you from your sins? Think about that. He saved you from your sins. In the birth announcement for Christ, it says that a Savior has come, a light has shone to the world in darkness. And if you've heard the gospel message and you've responded to that gospel message by faith, the Bible says that you've been brought out of darkness. And Peter says you've been brought out of darkness into His, I like this, marvelous light, into His radiant light. So folks, I have to ask you before we ever start reading Scriptures again, is the brightest moment of your life when you met the Lord Jesus Christ? If it's not, you can be saved today. Now with your Bibles open, because we're on this issue of fatherhood, manhood, biblical manhood, I wanted to show you in the Scriptures... A little Bible study, how the Bible's consistent about the issue of biblical manhood. Uh, we, We believe the man is the responsible nurturer. He's the leader. He's the provider. He's the protector of the home. He's to be the priest of the home. We use the three Ps. He's to be the prophet, the priest, and the protector. Every man the Bible commands to be the spiritual leader of the home. Well, I want you to notice, you know, Paul's going to mention apostles and prophets in just a minute. But you need your Bibles open to see this for yourselves. I could be making this up, but I'm not. I'm in Ephesians 4. And I just want to go back. I'm going to pick up at verse 1 and read the whole context. I will take the time to do that. But I will finish on time. But of course, that's my time, not yours. Okay. So it says, I therefore, I'm in in Ephesians 4.1. Very important. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So those of us that have been saved, that have been brought into out of darkness into His marvelous light, we're to walk in the light. We're to walk in Christ. We're to walk in a life of... Old. I love that. And he tells the Colossians the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, that they are to walk worthy of their... Calling, folks. What was the call you received when you got saved? Jesus said, "Follow me." So our calling is to follow Christ. To, to um, matter of fact, uh, the Bible uses the word mimic. We're to mimic the life of Christ. We're to discover what Christ did, and we're to do the same thing. So He says, "Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called." with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as there is one calling, one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Basically saying the same power that saved me, saved you, the same power that transformed the Apostle Paul is the same power that transforms sinners, though it's 2,000 years later. It's the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism of the Holy Spirit, the same power that saves, that saved Paul, saves me and you. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us. Now he's talking to saved people, right? You need your Bibles open. So I can make something up. Grace was given. We, you know, when we talk, in, and I don't know how much you study this and how much you know about spiritual gifts and, and the difference between being sealed by the Holy Spirit and, and everybody who is saved, the Bible says, is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible uses the idea of an engagement ring. It uses the idea of a down payment. That when God saved you, one of the things He did to guarantee His salvation is He put Himself in you. And He put Himself in you by, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of Trinity, indwells you. It seals you until the day of redemption is what the Bible says. And so the Holy Spirit seals you. But also, He's going to tell us when Jesus ascended, there's other things the Spirit does. Jesus ascended. He's, in, he's at the right hand of the Father. But now He sends the Holy Spirit and He gives each of us at least a gift To use in the church, and that's what Paul's arguing for. But if your Bibles are open, I want you to notice something. Okay, he says, "But grace was given." Look at the text to each one of us. Now, folks, this is where Bible the Bible matters. The Bible says what it means and means what it says. It's authoritative and it's accurate and it's consistent. So I want you to see that, even with a topic I just got through talking about in in our convention. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So if you're here to like, for instance, I'm just as an example, I've been called to preach, or that's what I'm a preacher teacher. Okay. Well, I didn't wake up one morning and decide that's what I'm going to be. Of course, there are some people that do that. Moses, I'm sure you've met some of those guys that are mama called and daddy sent. They're not called by God, and you can tell when you get around them. But so you can't glory in the gifts that you have. Because the gifts that I might have and the gifts that you have are grace gifts. They're given to you by Christ who is head of the church. And the Bible's already told us He fills all in all. So if you have a gift that's going to be used for the glorifying of the church and building up the body... It's because Christ gave it to you. But looking at your Bibles. Your Bibles are open. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, let's look at verse 8. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host captive. Are you looking at your Bibles? And He gave gifts to men. Whoo! Now... This is where language matters, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we use here at our church, we changed to the ESV several years ago. The English Standard Version. We, I like that translation because it's accurate, okay? There are some that are just as accurate. The New American Standard's accurate. They're both more accurate than the New King James, though I preached out of the New King James for 18 years. But we use the ESV now. And when you read these Bible verses, and it says, and he gave gifts to men, the original language matters. Okay, let me be brief. So there's several biblical words that's translated man, or manhood, or male. But this is the word, and you've heard it. It's, it's one of our English words. It's the word anthropos, anthropology. It is the Greek word anthropology. It's not talking about the gender male. It's talking about mankind. You with me? Are you listening to me? So, did God, when Christ ascended, when He gave gifts, did He give gifts just to men, or to give gifts to every believer? You can answer that to every believer. How do I know that? Because it says it right here. And just a side note: that's why language matters. So when I read scholars or I study a text, I might read that in the original language and find the helps that know that and can tell me those things because I sometimes can't translate. So everybody gets a gift. So if you're saved, the Bible guarantees me that the moment you got saved, Christ, through the work of the Spirit, not only sealed you for salvation... He, guaranteed, he gave you the arabon. Paul uses it in Ephesians 3. He gave you the arabon. That's the engagement ring of His Holy Spirit. So He guarantees He's going to come back and get you. But He not only did that, but He gave you spiritual gifts. Now let's keep reading. You're with your Bibles open. In saying, verse 9, in saying He ascended, what does it mean that He, he had also descended into the lower regions... And I like the way he, is, he reached the earth. Some people say it's meaning that Jesus descended into the pits of hell and that's not what it's saying here. He descended and we know He descended. He humbled Himself and became obedient. Point of death, He came to this earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended. He ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. Now look what it says. And He gave. So Christ that gave these gifts we just read about, gifts to men, the anthropology, anthropos, all men, all of mankind, everybody who's ever been saved got at least a gift that's to be used in the church. By the way, you'll notice about nine times he's going to pepper the text with the word church, with a called out assembly. Folks, church life as a Christian is about Christ, it's about the church, and it's about your brothers and sisters in Christ. It boils down to that. It's pretty simple. The Christian life boils down, it's pretty simple. It's hard to live, but it's pretty simple. It's about Christ's lordship, about the church, and about believers. That's what it's about. But look what he says in verse 11. And so he gave. So not only did he give everybody gifts, if if you're reading the text, he he gives gifted men. Now, I don't know how God does this, but in, in the language it says, and he gave, so he called... And again, this is a little... The language is, points this out. He calls apostles. There's no more apostles. He called prophets. And down the road, evangelists and pastor teachers, which is one person. But He, he called them. And He gave them to the church. That's what He says. So for preachers and evangelists, He, he gifts those... He, He gives them spiritual gifts, but He gives them a different kind of gift. It's a preaching gift. And He calls them out and He gives them to the church. That's how He's describing it. So He says, and He gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, guess what? That's the word for man or manhood there. It's an original word that never is used for anybody other than a male gender. So, just in the text, just in those few verses, I can say from reading Ephesians 4, that leadership in the church started with the apostles who were men, It was ordained by Christ that the leaders in the church to fill the pulpit to be pastor teachers. That's what the pastor teachers were to be. Who? You can answer that. Were to be who? Men. So, and that's really not Paul's subject matter here, but he happened, and and the Bible's consistent, and it's consistent all the way through. And and folks, by the way, just there are times when in in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Ladies are mentioned. Females that are serving the church. And they're called servants. Okay, Servants. It's the same Greek word that we use for deacons. But when you read the language, you have to know that, that there's gender in every word. Verbs and nouns. Well, when it mentions a servant lady, it's a, it's a feminine gender. But, but when it talks about deacons... It's always masculine. So when it comes to an official role in the church, is it to be a man or a woman? Is it to be an official role in the church is to be a man? But women can serve. So it's not limiting the ministry of women, it's limiting the leadership of women as far as heading up the local church. We always say, you know, God called a man to leave the home. God calls a man to leave the family of God called the church. That's why all throughout the New Testament, the church is called the family of God or the household of faith on many occasions. So I, I find this interesting. That you can just read now. I want to go to Ephesians 5. Your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter 5. In my Bible, that's one page over. I just found that to be interesting. Last week, we stopped at uh, verse 8. So I want to go back at verse 8 and pick back up. And I'm going to read down through just a couple of verses. So Paul says... Uh, well, that's the best way to pick this up. Um, well, let's pick up at verse 1. Uh, why not? Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So all of us are to be like the Father, male or female, doesn't matter. We're all children of God. We're all to be walking in our Father's image and walk in love Uh, You'll notice five or six times in the book of Ephesians, Paul, the word translated walk, uh, it just means manner of life. You know, your manner of life. So, walk in love as Christ loved us. By the way, we'll see this on Wednesday night because I'm talking about love at at our picnic. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or being covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. If you remember, the church at Corinth had some sexual immorality that was being tolerated in the church. And and Paul called for there to be immediate discipline of of those individuals. because it should not even be named among the saints, okay? He says, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking. Uh, One of the words here is the word moron. (laughs) If you're looking at the language of the day, I love its two words put together. Talking like a moron is the two words put together. Morus and logeo, it's the word talking like a moron. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So folks, among the saints, there should be no coarse jesting, nor off-colored talk. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or covets, that is, is an idolater. Now look what he says has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now folks, let me tell you, it doesn't say that if you've ever struggled with those sins, it doesn't say that. What it's saying is if that's your life, if your life is a life of immorality and of idolatry, Paul says it is obvious you've not inherited eternal life. What he's saying is it's proof that God has not planted Himself in your soul. Then he says, "Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." You can read about that wrath, the wrath upon immorality, by going to Romans chapter one, and Paul lays out how people, nation, or ethnicities that that are immoral, he judges and he pours out his wrath, and many times. They experience God's wrath in physical infirmities from the sin that they they've committed. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. The idea of uh, Koinonia, fellowship, where we don't partner with people that are immoral or pagan. Paul says the same thing in uh 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians 6. You know, he asks these questions. What what agreement has the devil, has Satan with Christ? What agreement has light with darkness? What has the temple of God with idols? What in common do these things have? And, And of course, they have nothing in common. So those of us that have been transformed by the power of Christ, we have nothing in common with immoral lifestyles, idolatry. But I saw that to get down to verse 8 because this is kind of where we stopped last Sunday morning. He says, don't become partakers or partners with them. He says, for at one time, you were darkness. If you were here last Sunday, you remember my comments about that. It's not just that you lived in the darkness. You were darkness. You were possessed by darkness. The darkness you you were hell bound hell bent and owned by the world of darkness by the way who's the prince of darkness satan he says but at one time the folks it's reminding us i remember i've been saved a long time i've been saved since i was 16 i'm 62 figure that up for yourself 46 years but i still remember what it was like to be lost I still remember living for immorality and for self. I still remember. And I still remember how God brought me out of darkness into that marvelous light. So he says, for at one time you were darkness. Now folks, that's reality. The reality is either God has called you out of darkness into His light, or you're in the darkness. That's life's reality. For everybody in here, you're either saved and you've been brought to the light or you're lost and you're in darkness. You're owned by the darkness. Folks, that's reality. So he says, for at one time, you were darkness. One of the things we talked about at the Southern Baptist Convention was our need to do better with evangelism. Okay, I know many of you are visitors today and thank you for being here, but... As your pastor and as the pastor of this church, I've, I've been a woeful leader when it comes to evangelism. And one of the things that going to the convention does for my soul is it challenges me to be a better soul winner, to, to be a better witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I sit back and think about people without Christ being in that darkness, being owned by Satan, being Jesus called them a child of Satan that they're a child of the devil, to think about their spiritual condition should drive you to want to share the gospel. So when we say, at one time you were darkness, then he says, here's your identity, but now. So there's a reality. Either you're in the darkness or you're in the light. And then your identity. This is my identity. But now, all of us that are saved, you are light in the Lord. Right? So that's my identity. Now folks, I'm not the light. Second Corinthians deals with this. It talks about how I look at Jesus and looking upon, basically, I look upon the face of Jesus through the Scriptures and through prayer and the Holy Spirit, and His life shines on me. And the more I'm in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ and biblical truth, the brighter the light is in me and for me. But I'm not the light. It, it's Christ is the light and it shines upon me we read that in 2 Corinthians 4-6 last week. So here's the reality. At one time, you were darkness. Here's your identity. But now you're light in the Lord. And then your responsibility. It boils down to this simple responsibility. If you're here today and you've been born again, what is your responsibility? What, what's your purpose in life? Well, you know, what's, what's your goal in life? Well... I'm not talking about your career and what you're going to do for a living. I'm talking about as a believer. Let me tell you what it is. What it says. Walk as children of light. To walk as children of light. So in verse 8, you see this great transition where Paul lays out a reality. It's either dark or light. Your identity. For us, we're in Christ. We're in the light. And then he shares with us this massive responsibility that we're to walk as children of light. Now, I want to take it a little bit further. If you, if you draw it down, take your, look at your, I'm right here in Ephesians five. I want you to notice what Paul does, if your Bibles are open, he talks about if, if you keep reading, you know, he says, he talks about the fruit of the light, take no part in the unfruitful works, his chart, "Don't, so have nothing to do with the works of darkness. Okay, it's a shame for what they do in darkness. Take, look carefully how you walk. Verse 15. I love what he says in verse, making the best use of time. Well, Ken Maddox. Ken? Making the best use of time. I was thinking about that. Time flies, doesn't it? It really does. 37 years. I've been here 24 years and it doesn't seem like it could possibly be that long. Paul uses a word here for redeem. To buy. He uses a market term. And what he means is all of us have the same amount of opportunities in time. The time's there. We have to be wise with it. We have to buy back the time, and he tells us why. We have to be wise because everything around us is evil. By the way, he also commands us here. I won't get into that now, but he commands us to not just not not deal, not live in the darkness, okay? Not fellowship with the darkness, but one of the things that you and I aren't good at doing sometimes is He tells us to expose the darkness. This is where we, we're we supposed to publicly call sin, sin. And we're supposed to take a stand and, and confront people with with their wrongdoing and with their immoral lifestyle. But I say all that to, read, to go down to verse 22 where... Paul mentions husbands and wives. And again, I've jumped a long way and there's no way I can make it connected, but I do want you to see that he goes from our Christian life and then he goes to the church and to the home. So when you get to chapter, the end of chapter 5, Paul talks about... If you, I've highlighted it all through. The, the word church appears six times beginning at verse 23 in the next 10 or 15 verses. Church, 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 church. Home, 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 home. Husband and wife, husband and wife, husband and wife. Then chapter 6, children. So it's talking about where does the Christian life, where's the ultimate example of Christ-like living? Where does it take place? Well, the first place that it it does take place is in the home where there's a godly man and a godly wife. Now, this is unrelated, but I need to show it to you, okay? So this is going to be the last passage. I know I'm one minute over it doesn't really matter does it i want you to take your bibles and go to first corinthians okay this is related but it's not related i just want to show you something because it's it's applicable to the times and seasons that we live you'll want if you have your bibles you'll want to turn here with me first corinthians chapter 6 Now, I want you to hold your finger at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm not going to take long. I promise you, I'm going to finish on time. But then I want you to go to 1 1 Corinthians 6. Hold your finger there. Then go to 1 Corinthians 16. I just want to show you, I'm going to show you one verse there and one verse back in chapter 6. But I want to go to 16 first. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 16, 12 and 13. Your Bible's open. So you're going to learn something today. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. Then Paul says, so he's challenging the believers. So Apollos can't come right now. I've been delayed, okay? So there's not going to be a representative of me come nor me for a while. So look what it says. Be watchful. Are you looking at your Bibles? Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Now I'm in ESV. What does it say? Act like men. That's exactly what the word. Be a man. If you read the text. So he's telling He's telling the men at Corinth to be biblical men. So if Paul can't show up and lead and and take the church where it needs to go, guess who's going to pick up the church and take the church where it needs to go? Who's it going to be? Men. Happy Father's Day. I went to a conference years ago, a marriage conference, Um. Really, I I didn't need it. Diane needed it. She's terrible and she needed it bad. So we went to this conference and uh, the guy got up and this is what he said to the guys. He said, men, when I get through telling you what the Bible says is the commands for you, you're going to want to walk away because it's a high calling. And he's right. Men, if you understood, fathers, if you understood what the text says about our responsibilities for spiritual headship, spiritual leadership, sacrificial leadership. If you understood that, you'll know it's a high calling. And that it's, it's time to finish the games. It's not playtime at church. You know, it's, it, this isn't recreation. Being a father is not a recreation. It is a calling. It's a high calling. It's a great calling. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God laid the foundation of the world on men. And says, and now Paul says what, Jesus, what God said, Be a man. It's time to be amen. Now, now I want you to go out to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This will make sense, okay? Just go there. 1 Corinthians 6. Of course, you know the plague on America, I don't have to tell you this, is fatherless homes. You know that. Um, if people are in prison, 90% of the prisoners are there. They're incarcerated. They're from a a fatherless home—you know that. Uh, whether you're talking about teen pregnancy or or drugs, homelessness—it's it's massive, massively greater when there's not a father in the home. Whether it's a blood relative, stepfather, there's no father in the home. It does statistically. But I want to show you something how important about manhood in our culture, okay? And I want you to see what the Scriptures say about it, okay? And with there's so much more I could say. I'm going to pick one verse. I'll make a couple of comments and we'll we'll close in prayer, okay? Uh, now let me pick up the verse. Uh, he's telling the Corinthians what they've done wrong. Verse 7 says, to have lawsuits at all because they're having brother suing brother. He says to have lawsuits, verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? So is it wrong for you? I'm asking you as a Christian in here. If you're here and you're saved, is it wrong for you to sue another brother? Is it? Yes, it is wrong. Okay, That's what the text says. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know? Here it is. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's that word inherit again. You can't earn it. God gives you salvation. But when He gives it to you, He puts Christ in you through the Spirit and it changes your life. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral... You heard this. This is exactly the same words he used in Ephesians. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now again, I've dealt with many a family situation where that's happened, but there's been restoration. But he's talking about this being your lifestyle, okay? Sexual immoral, idolaters, nor adulterers. Are you reading your Bibles? Are you looking at your Bibles? Now in ESV, I'm a little disappointed. It reads, nor men who practice homosexuality. Okay? If you have ESV, that's what it says, right? Right? Check it out. Okay. Well, there's really two two words. It's translated homosexuality. But there's two different words Paul uses to describe, I'm not going to get into it, homosexuality. And you can guess, you could pretty well envision what the two words would refer to, but I'm going to give you the first one. It's the Greek word for being soft. Literally it says, the softer side. A man that acts like a woman. Now, this is what I'm saying. What does the Bible say? Is the Bible saying that homosexuals can't be saved? That's no, not saying that. What's it saying? It's saying that if you're saved, you will not want to live this kind of lifestyle. And he says... Homosexuality is wrong, both sides of it. But he uses this word soft. One for soft and one for aggressor. I won't get into the words, but this one for soft. Sissy boys, girly boys, limp handed. We just call them limp handed. Folks, in in the biblical world, listen to me, in the biblical worldview, there's no place for sissy men, for girly men, for limp handed men. Because let me ask you was Christ limp handed in a sissy? Was he? You can answer that. Was he? No. Who am I supposed to be like? Christ. There is no place. Now, again, there's, salvation can come to homosexuals. We've seen sa- homosexuals saved out of this. All that's true. I just want you to see, the culture that we're in, they're teaching us a lifestyle that violates Scripture. God does not call men of God to be sissy men. As a matter of fact, when you read about this word, men had swords on their side. And were ready to go to battle. That, a man, a man's man. So I want you to know, when we think about being biblical manhood... The furthest thing from biblical manhood is what the world presents to us as a man. Some sissy, slick-haired, limp-handed, girly-talking sissy. That's not Jesus, is it? That's not Jesus. So, God calls men to be men. So just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians... 16. Be a man. I can read the New Testament and find men all throughout the Bible to follow their example. So, here in, Ephes- in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to see where, where the world is violating the standard of what manhood really is. Well, let's stand together. Thank you so much for letting me uh, share that with you. Let's stand together for prayer.